Hello fellow grunts of the UK and beyond, this is One Foot the Podcast with me, Tom. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks in exile, um, just seeing through other matters in personal life, um, but I'm pleased to be back with episode three. I'll be discussing the episode Dramatic Fever. Uh, yeah, so I'm glad to be uh, back doing this uh, show. Like I said, a short break, just things getting in the way, uh, just fresh off the back of an announcement by Boris that we're going to be... Well, basically indoors for another couple of months, so it just means that I can produce more podcasts, hopefully. And when life goes back to normal, I'd like to think I still have the time to do these podcasts, although I'm still as busy as ever working two jobs and bringing up a little one. So actually, if I can do it in lockdown with what's going on, I can probably do it in normal life since there's actually no difference. Before we get going, I just want to thank a couple of listeners who've sent some really nice feedback in lately. Um, Simon, uh, who emailed onefootinthepodcast at gmail.com he just sent a really nice long uh, message which I'll read out in a moment and also to Ben who's been in contact on the Twitter page who would quite like to get involved in a future show so that's good and you too can also be a part of One Foot in the Podcast you can have your say um, do whatever you like really um, as long as it's uh, One Foot in the Grave related of course before we start, I'm just going to read out Simon's email. I'm not going to uh, use his surname. Um, it's just Simon, but I'm going to read out what he's written because he's um, some good analysis by him. So he's just he says, hi, just a note to say how much I am enjoying the podcasts of One Foot. It's always been a favourite of mine. So good to see a podcast for the war, sorry, for the world of Victor at last. You picked up on some really good points, especially about series one and feeling different to the others. There's 10 years between the first and last series, and you can really see a contrast between these almost drab, darkly lit first episodes and the colourful, bright, nearly HD stories in Series 6. I agree with you that Victor is in fact a completely sane person, and it's the world around him that's losing its marbles. I never truly picked up on the dark humour of the series until I was much older, having first watched the series as a kid in the 90s. A bit like me. I just used to find the set pieces funny more than the dialogue. But on further analysis, there is a lot going on here. The effects of ageism is just one of the deeper messages on the show here, amongst others. And as you say, Renwick skillfully finds a great platform to communicate these aspects of life. Having read the book by Richard Webber, I found it really interesting that Renwick was incredibly particular about how his script should be delivered. Ad-libbing was not allowed, and he and, he and the cast almost came to blows over such detail as that the rhythm of each line should be delivered. His desire for perfectionism probably has a lot to do with the quality of the series. Was it right to end after 10 years? Only Renwick has the right to say for definite. I personally miss it greatly and would have loved the odd Christmas special. But then you only have to look at sitcoms like The Royal Family, and dare I say it, Fools and Horses, to see shows that didn't know when to call it a day. Anyway, enough waffle. Keep up the good work. Cheers, Simon. And he's followed that with a couple of uh, quotes. Uh, You're right, it's definitely stronger by the sideboard. Well, don't stand by the bloody sideboard. Go home! And also another follow-up email. P.S. Completely agree with the coronavirus moan. That uh, Kind words uh, from Simon and a good insight into his um, what he liked about the series. And yeah, like he's, he's, he and I and many others would have obviously seen the contrast and difference between Series 1 and uh, Series 6, of course. Like, like, I guess like most comedies... Um, but yeah, I think you can't argue that arguably probably finished at the right time. 
because it certainly left me wanting more. Um, and when you have that feeling of wanting to watch more, they probably did leave it at the right time. Um, he mentioned about Fools and Horses, and he, he referenced, dare I say, any Fools and Horses. And I don't know if Simon knows that I had, up until very recently, been um, uh, a podcaster for the Jolly Boys podcast, which very uh, is a bit of an announcement um, on the back of that. Is I, I've left the podcast on good terms. I just I haven't got time to do what I do in my personal life and this podcast. And I, I'm very much putting one foot of the podcast at the forefront of my limited creative uh, talents or abilities, I should say. Talent, bloody hell. <clears throat> Some of you will laugh at that. What I meant to say was I, I want to focus on this rather than Jolly Boys. I, I think with the Jolly Boys podcast, um, go back and have a listen if you are a Fools fan because I think we did quite a good, um, we made quite a good effort. There's a few of the actors on that show. And the other lads, I don't know if they're going to continue it or not. I just found it a bit too much, and it, it can um, it can get a bit uh, tense when you're working with all four of you because there's four of us doing it before and after a show. It can get a little bit too. I can't think of the word, but some of the enjoyment can be taken out of doing the show when it's taking up a lot of your time. So I think it was right just to step away. So we managed to complete a couple of series worth of that. And we finished recently with a special that'll be released soon with a, a stage actor. So tune in for tune into that. And whether Jolly Boys podcast continues or not, I I do not know. And I um, wish them every success. And hopefully they can keep keep uh, continue to bring out some great episodes. But uh, never say never. You never know. Maybe I'll be back on there one day. But for now, it's all about Victor Meldry for me. Um, and it's my quest to get one foot in the grave very much spoken about once more in the uh, public domain of the comedy world because like I keep saying I just think it's gone a bit under the radar in the last 10 to 15 years of course you know it's a series that finished in well, a long time ago <coughs> but well you know 2000 sort of October 2000 to finish but nevertheless you know I think Fools and Horses still get spoken about to this day and yes that is in its own level playing field it's in its own league but all the sitcoms that come below it, or at least to the same, a similar level to it, in my opinion, the likes of Faulty Towers, Dad's Army, are still very much spoken about to this day. And those are comedies going back to the 60s and 70s. And one thing that Grave achieved great things. You know, it won um, British Best Comedy Award in 2001. Uh, Victor Melger. Richard Wilson won awards for Best Comedy Actor. Uh, British Comedy People's Choice Award so it won everything it could do in its category uh, yet it doesn't seem to get the attention that I feel it deserves you know if you follow my Twitter you'll see me occasionally responding to UK Gold's Twitter account um, when they when they say oh, we're replaying I they say Royal Family this weekend I, I'll put you know why in the bloody hell are you not putting on one from the grave whether it's um, a, a rights thing with the BBC um, remains to be seen but I think it deserves an outing and as per Simon's uh, wonderfully crafted email um, he mentioned ageism something I mentioned as well maybe the they, UK Gold think their audiences won't want to see um, so called two aging actors on screen because they're not they're not ancient at all um, is it because is that why they don't play Last of the Sunwine anymore it could be this for the same reason I don't know but I, I just think um, it's a show that deserves more and more recognition as time goes by.
anyway that's that's the longest i've rambled before actually talking about an episode i think it's because i've had a two or three week gap um lots to talk about and it it's touching that some of you take the time to send me a message because it really does g me up um like i said i get very few listeners uh it's a new podcast um but that doesn't bother me because the very few listeners i know are taking it seriously so thank you very much um i do welcome more listeners of course but thank you once again ben simon and everyone else who regularly downloads i really really appreciate it i think we should crack on now i think i should crack on now with uh discussing episode dramatic fever synopsis um as written by imdb uh, victor writes a script for a new situation comedy but nobody else finds it very funny margaret also catches dramatic fever uh, one of the few titles that i will un- understand immediately is and i didn't necessarily in the first place is dramatic fever will focus on margaret's uh, quest to um perform on stage um so she obviously I think the pair of them over the series have their stints on stage. We've had Victor doing the ventriloquist act. Margaret in this episode, as I talk about in a moment, she uh, has a stint at acting. And I think much later on, uh, I'm sure Victor does a... Uh, well, he plays the part of a vampire or or something. I can't even remember that. When I rewatch it, I'll know, obviously. So there is quite a lot of... What, a surprising amount of... Um, Performing arts capabilities between Victor and Margaret, which is nice. Talking of um, episode title meanings, and it's something that I've been trying to look into a little bit more, but I've always found that Renwick's quite uh, cryptic with his um, choice of wordings for these titles. Uh, Ben, who I mentioned earlier, uh, hello Ben, who contacted me on Twitter, he did also contact uh, a few weeks ago to say that he was for his first time listening. He was listening to "We Are Put Her in the Living Tomb," and uh, he was saying that title is a nod to Edgar Allan Poe, uh, and the the line appears near the end of "The Fall of the House of Usher." So thank you, Ben. I think more of that is gladly uh, received on on there because I just don't always know what these episode titles mean. But um, thank you very much. Anyway, on back onto the uh, topic in hand of dramatic fever. Another episode and, and another rant from Victor about the types of litter found in this garden. I'm really glad we arrived back to find this half-eaten double whopper with cheese lying in my front rose bed. Some people put manure in theirs, but I love none of it. A double whopper with cheese is a thing. <laughs> Harry Wheatcroft swears by them. This time it's a double whopper with cheese. Well, Victor sarcastically says some people put manure in their uh, rose, rose bush, but... Uh, I'll have none of it. I'll put a, a double whopper of cheese and that. Harry Wheatcroft swears by them. I had to. I did have to look up Harry Wheatcroft, and he's a famous English rose grower. I think he helped to popularise um, the growth of roses in your back garden. Apparently, um, again, that's internet uh, talk. So just let me know if I've got that wrong. So also, we learn that Margaret's mother is there to stay, and we of course never see her. Um, I'm sorry that's a bit of a lack of a spoiler warning for you, but we I don't believe we ever see it. Much the same way as we don't see Mr Sweeney's Swaney, sorry, Mr Sweeney's mother. And I like that. It does it's just that little mystical element to the show. I just love it when you don't quite meet that um much she's not a much talked about character, but she's certainly brought up every so often and she's even in the same building 
in the world of Wandering the Grave. And it's the same with Dad's Army. Apart from the, the film that they brought out in 2016, you never met Mr. An- Mr. Manorin's wife, Fools and Ozzes. You never, of course, you never saw their mother because she passed on. Apart from the fact the prequel Rock and Chips you did. But in the spirit of the show itself, you don't see these off-screen characters which I think is good. But anyway, the the mother is there to stay. Victor and Margaret have just come back uh, from watching a play. And it it's quite apparent that Victor didn't really take it quite seriously. And he, and he thought he was watching a completely different um, play. He thought he was watching The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And quite clearly, uh, according to Margaret, they are watching Peter Pan. And there's mention of a Mrs. Henstridge from the, the co-op playing Tinkerbell. And that... That one-liner made me laugh because there's a good name that Renwitz used there, Mrs. Henstridge. It just it just sounds like a haggard old beer. Um, and, of course, working at a local shop, the co-op, you can't envisage someone just by that name alone. You can't you, you assume it's a lady in her 70s trying to play a character from a, essentially a child <laughs> child's play as Tinkerbell, who's usually played by a younger type of lady. But anyway, I just thought that was good. It's, this Renwick's knack of using funny, funny names in uh, certain episodes. It just it helps with the one. If it was like, oh, June from down the road played Tinkerbell, it wouldn't be as funny. But uh, I laughed anyway. It's the little things. Anyway, apparently uh, Victor found it that boring that he was allegedly asleep throughout and falling asleep on the on the gentleman next to him on his shoulder. Something visually that we something used to see in like programs or, or older films where comically someone falls asleep on the person's shoulder next to them i mean in reality you just get shrugged off wouldn't you in an instant but it seems it seems to be allowed to happen in these uh fictional uh situations so anyway margaret is discussing um how she it sounds like she's been invited to take part in the with the stage production company they visited they've seen that very night and she makes the comment that it'd be fun to get back involved with stage play after all these years she uses quote-unquote all these years so it's something she's done as a young young girl young lady interesting little bit of backstory for margaret well the reason margaret was offered to take part in the play is a desiree gibson has sort of hit the big time and she is no longer able to make time for the production company and because she appeared in some crappy advert apparently or some small part in a tv program so that's led that's paved the way for margaret to have her well have her chance if you like are you coming straight up to bed now or what no i'm going to do another hour or two in my situation comedy try and get this scene finished if i can on the topic of creativity victor has announced that he's gonna carry on um, working on his situation comedy. I mentioned when Renwick was writing this, he really enjoyed uh, putting all his energies into Victor as a writer because, you know, it takes one to know one and all that. And he really paints Victor in this episode to be uh, an apparent successful scriptwriter because Victor is really getting into it. He's laughing at what he's written down. He's put a lot of heart and effort into whatever dialogue has been written down. So anyway, as Victor gets down to typing his script, um, Margaret goes uh, to the bottom of the stairs and calls up to her mum to ask if she wants a cup of Horlicks. God, who drinks Horlicks these days? Anyway, she calls up to her mother. They, we don't get a reply. We will eventually learn later on in the series that we hear Margaret's mother speak um, over an announcement message. And it's quite clearly Nick Crosby. I just find it I just find it interesting that they, they would follow that 
that mantra of just keeping it the same actress. Maybe just to make it more believable that it's her mother, I suppose, and it makes perfect sense. On the topic of Annette Crosby, and I'm going to deviate here, and if there are any Afterlife fans, Ricky Gervais's sitcom, she appears in the first episode of Series 2, and it's absolutely incredible. Um, some of the dialogue she's been given to um, to act is just fantastic. And it was, actually felt quite proud, actually, watching that with our, our very own Annette. Looking, looking her age, although they dressed her up as a, an apparent 100-year-old. We know Annette's in her early, mid-80s. But she looked absolutely fantastic in the character she was portraying. And I urge you to just watch that scene alone. You might be taken for a bit of a surprise with the, the language used, but very, very good. I'm, I'm just glad that Annette Crosby is still on our TV screens and... If someone could tell me what Richard Wilson's up to, and I know he had a heart attack um, a few years ago, and he was very nearly going to be performing at the Edinburgh Fringe, I read. A good, a, this, this is going back a couple of years, and at the time I was planning to take a trip to Edinburgh to watch him play Victor as a one-off special, a one-off comeback, and he was going to perform the trial episode, which is basically is the one-man show, the one-man episode of the trial. It's, it's deemed to be one of the best episodes of One Foot in the Grave. It is really good, but... It wouldn't be the best for me because the best will have to involve Margaret and Mrs. Warboys, Mr. Sweeney, and Patrick and Pippa as a minimum because that's just that's just my thoughts. Deviating nicely once again, but yeah, Margaret calls up to her mum. There's no reply, and we go we pan back to Victor who's uh, typing. Well, he's typing away. He's reading um, what he's written on paper. He's having a little chuckle, and we hear a, a, an amusing banging and rattling and scuttling from from above. I, I can't think of the, the correct words there. I can't quite articulate it. But it's quite amusing just the way Victor is stopping his tracks and looks looks round just to see what the earth's going on. And then um, Margaret comes back down the stairs. She starts to bollock him. Congratulations! You've done it again, haven't you? What's the matter? What's happened? What is it? I take it you were the one who put all that powdered wallpaper paste in a big glass jar and left it upstairs last week. No. Oh, yes, I did. Uh, <laughs> yes, with a packet split open. Why? My mother thought they were bath salts. <laughs> you know how she tips a ton of the stuff in? She fell asleep in the water reading the Daily Mirror. Woke up like a giant tadpole in a bath of frog spawn. <laughs> She looks like she's been pickled in aspic up there. Oh dear. So what um, Margaret is about to tell him off for is, she goes, I take it you're the one who put that powdered wall, uh, wallpaper paste in the jar upstairs. So Margaret um, says that, you know, you were the one who put the powdered wallpaper paste in the big glass jar last week. Well, I take it it was you. And uh, Victor initially sort of denies it and remembers, actually, no, I did do that. And he mentions that the powder, the wallpaper package sort of split open anyway so we had to put it in the, the big glass jar and it also it's nice that they're referencing the decorating of the house from the previous week that's what again it's a continuity thing of their lives although each episode's a different plot it's nice that there's like a um a follow-on from the last episode or you know something that something that's always basically going wrong and we see it ha the end result in the following episode anyway um according to margaret her, her mother's running a bath and you know, she's quite into her bath salts and she mistakes this glass of um, powdered wallpaper paste. Uh, she describes her mother looking up, looking like a, um, a giant tapo in a bath of frog spawn. 
So yeah, poor old um, um, Margaret's mother, and poor old Margaret who's seemingly having to clean clean it all up. Margaret's insinuating here that Victor is this stereotypical son-in-law who's got it in for um, his mother-in-law because she says, I suppose it's also an accident that you put that old poly in that sterilant tin. So therefore she shows some mould of um, her mother's dentures that are well and truly glued together by polyfiller so she actually gets them to start chiselling. Just sounds absolutely hideous that like those seemingly clay, hard clay, pottery type dentures, again I just can't get my words out this evening, I apologise listeners, that goes into someone's mouth. So they've got much more modern uh, types of dentures now I'm sure but yeah, visually funny. Uh, funny that Victor was, I don't think he would have done that on purpose. Like, he's not a spiteful kind of guy, unless it's to get um, his own back on someone who's done wrong, basically. The following day, uh, Margaret is uh, basically um, about to take her mother back to Kettering. She calls up to her mum to say, don't come down the stairs with the suitcase, not with your ankle. She goes into the living room and Victor is looking quite chilled out. He's got a bowl of cereal. Um, he's, it looks like he's more or less in his pyjamas still. And he's going to work on his sitcom. Margaret is about to leave when we hear, presumably, the, the, the suitcase falling down the stairs. You know, Margaret runs to the attention of her mother and says, oh, Mum. And you also hear her mutter to her, No one will notice. Um, they'll just think it's a new type of hair gel. So, presumably, the bath salts that she thought were bath salts are still very much in her hair. More left to the imagination, I think. Poor old uh, Margaret's mother. They leave and Victor is very much loving it. He says, first time in eight days. And he's got absolute peace. Just about to sit down. We're about to have a bit of a bit of a carnival now with the telephone. The first of many times starts to ring. Hello. Good morning. My name is Mr R.S. Gridley. Ringing from Kidderminster. Yes. Yes. In first place, a shot B, Mike Hallett against John Verger. <laughs> what? Shot D, Doug Mountjoy against Jimmy Warwick. I beg your pardon? In third place, shot H, Dennis Taylor against Bill Webernick. Dennis Taylor? Hello? Hello? The caller on the other end is a uh, Mr. R.S. Gridley. Sounds very robotic in uh, tone. And he says he's a Mr. R.S. Gridley from Kidderminster and proceeds to spell Kidderminster. And Victor's looking ever so um, confused right now. And Mr. R.S. Gridley says, in first place, shot B, Mike Hallett versus John Virgo. And he's starting to think, what on earth's going on here? Especially from Victor's point of view. And this person is given his opinion on who had shot at the tournament, Open Championships. And Victor dismisses it as, it's just a wrong number, carry on with it. Quite an interesting uh, to watch this again, because it's just a sign of the times that you wouldn't pick up the telephone now to make a vote on anything, apart from maybe X Factor or Britain's Got Talent, not that I watch those dreadful shows, and I'm sure I'll be mentioning those in the Meldry Moan Corner in the near future when there's nothing else, well, when this coronavirus-related matters um, are hopefully over. But, yeah, I remember on Mash of the Day, uh, used to, Mash of the Day in the 90s, they used to have Gold of the Month competitions, and you'd ring up, um, you place your votes, and I used to absolutely love that. And I think I might have 
made uh, a few calls and probably hiked the phone, the family phone bill up uh, somewhat. But you did stand to win Premier League tickets for two for any club of your choice. I think it was quite so at the time. You think it's quite worth it if you do, you know, of course, if you win. But yeah, so Victor goes to sit back down before he can barely put on his glasses. The phone rings again. This time it's a Gordon James Cacaldi calling from Cacaldi. And the, these telephone calls work really well because obviously we can hear who's on the other line and the voices put on are very comical. They're not really mono... Well, there's certainly mo- there's elements of monotone about them, but they just are amusing. They're so bizarre sounding. And it's all in the acting from Richard Wilson as well, how he's just experiencing this utter bizarreness that... Apparently got the snooker switchboard coming through to his home phone. That's another recurring theme. There's always problems with the Meldrews home line. They're either not getting the right calls or they're just not able to get through to anyone. To be fair to Victor, he's telling them you've got the wrong number and they're just not listening. So, yeah, they proceed to give their... This Mr. Cacaldi proceeds to give his votes on the top three shots of the tournament. Some good throwback names as well in the snooker world. Uh, Jimmy White, um, John Virgo, you know, classic snooker player names. To be honest, I haven't followed snooker since probably the end of the 90s, start of the 2000s, so I couldn't really tell you modern snooker player names. I can only t- probably, obviously apart from Ronnie O'Sullivan and Judd Trump, I think it was like Stephen Hendry was the, the player of the 90s. He's, he won multiple championships. <clears throat> My grandparents, who who loved One Foot in the Grave, used to say, I looked like Stephen Hendry as a young boy, and I could see it, to be fair. Certainly not now, blimey. But back in the 90s, I, I think there was a resemblance of sorts, not through snooker skills, although I think I'm quite a dad band at snooker, Paul. But just a little off-topic reference there for you. A third call comes through. Hello? Hello? This is Ulrich Eidel here, speaking <laughs> from Stockholm, Sweden. And here are my votes in the BBC shot of the championship. Look, what am I, Katie Boyle? <laughs> You've almost died. You're all coming through to a private number. Do you understand? <laughs> Go away! This time it's a Eric Idol, which is obviously Eric Idol. I, I assume that's Eric Idol voice in it. I think it's a quite a good nod to the fact he sang the theme tune, saying he's from Stockholm in Sweden. Um, calling to vote for the BBC shot of the championship, which is the official title, as uh, mentioned by this Uric Idol, and gives his vote. And, and Victor has screamed on the phone, saying, "You know, you've got the wrong number. This, you know, this is a private line." And he, um, the person, they just ignore him. Like the previous caller and this caller totally ignored him. It's just absolutely bonkers. Hangs up the the phone. A call, a fourth call comes through. Victor Meldrew. No, who is he playing against? Hurricane Higgins. <laughs> Oh, yes, uh, that's me. <laughs> Speaking. Good morning. My name is Desiree Gibson. I was ringing for Mrs. Meldrew. She's in Kettering, is that right? Yes, that's right. Uh, do you want a number for her? It's... 
And it was a lady this time. She says, it's uh, Mrs. Meldrew there. When the fourth call comes through, it's a lady this time asking for Victor Meldrew. And he straight away, sarcastically responds, who's he playing? Hurricane Higgins. Another blast from the past, Hurricane Higgins. Um, she is actually after a Mrs. Meldrew and asks if we hear her say, Kettering. And Victor gives a phone number to call her for around 12 o'clock when she presumably arrives at her mother's. Phone call ends. He hangs up the phone and he's he's obviously livid at this point. He's he's done, I think he's, he's by assumedly stopped writing for now because his short fuse has been well and truly lit. And he goes off to the toilet and a nice little surprise for us. I say a nice little surprise, it's a comic, comical surprise. He he um goes to lift the toilet up to go to the bathroom and behind the shower curtain is a, an Irish plumber. I think you're all right there. No worries at all there, Mr. Meldrew. What the bloody hell are you doing in there? Mrs. Meldrew is a bit concerned out that it might be a bit clogged up, like you know, but I, I think it's all clear now. I'm going up to your loft now and have a look at your overflow, okay? Oh uh, you need a new toilet duck. Do I? Um, and and clogging the mess um, from the night before and I just think that's just fantastic how Victor isn't aware that there's a plumber in the house but it certainly made me laugh when I rewatched this he exits the bathroom a very dated bathroom I mean it's certainly bathrooms just I think everyone now I think even if you live in a um, a, a small property, or maybe even like a council house property. Bathrooms now are most mostly look quite modern, and I and I know that's obvious to say, but I think most people don't have carpet flooring, and they don't have a carpet or furry toilet seat lid, and like that greeny coloured or matching coloured uh, bathroom and sink, if that makes sense. But it certainly looks. It just took me took me back to <laughs> bathrooms of the nineties. That's a very riveting conversation for you. And he goes to have a pill and. He thinks he's, you know, very much finally got a bit of peace himself. Have you got any privacy in your own toilet? No. <laughs> it's Nick in here. No, he's not. Go away. <laughs> and this, I thought it was a window cleaner originally, but it's a guy at the window saying I was builder. And he says, no, he bloody isn't, shuts the window on him. I actually think that's great. Quite a nice little surprise for the audience, you know, just one after the other, just whining poor old Victor up. He just can't catch a break. The Meldrews are in bed now. Um, Victor, I don't know what he's doing. It looks like he's doing a... Well, I actually thought it was a crossword of sorts, but he's, he's editing his script because Margaret wants to have a little look at it and he, he won't show her. He's laughing to himself throughout the, the scene and he's very quite touchy. He doesn't want her to have a peek, um, and she's quite interested. Oh, did that woman ring you to your mother's, Desiree Gibbon? Oh, yes! <laughs> Gibson. That's what I meant to tell you. She's invited us to dinner at her place. I didn't know you knew her. Well, I don't. But she seems to know all about me. But anyway, she goes on to say that this Desiree Gibson is uh, asked, asked around for a meal. Or more specifically, she's holding a Bergerac party. I've never watched Bergerac. It's something that uh, UK. I'm sure UK Gold used to always show Bergerac, even if it's not classed as a comedy. But it's a little nod from Renwick to another uh, detective series. So he went on to write Jonathan Creek, and at this time, um, when this uh, episode was released, we're talking 1990. Well, we're still in 1990. So he hasn't even. I wouldn't have even thought he's even thought of the writing 
a series like Jonathan Creek at this point. Little funny nod. It's possible enjoyment of all things detective drama series. Uh, it's quite quite interesting, I thought. Well, anyway, um, the reason for the Bergeret party is that this Desiree Gibson, who's now moved on to bigger and better things, is holding the, this Bergeret party because she starred in it. So it's. I thought when I watched this back, I thought, how? Well, what do you dress up as for a Bergeret party? But of course, no. It's because this lady. Um, is obviously quite proud that she's made an appearance in it, so they've, inv- they've all been invited for a dinner party uh, to watch um, her scene. To entice Victor to go along, she said, well, maybe she's got some contacts in the uh, television industry who could take a look at your script, which makes Victor sort of go, maybe I would want to go. I presume Mick Stacey gave you his verdict on that overfill pipe in the loft. He did, yes. Told me the pipe was a complete write-off. Corroded away to Bagara, he said. Buggery, I think you're fine. <laughs> Margaret uh, says, I, I presume that Mick, the um, plumber, gave you his verdict on the pipes that he was clearing out. I mentioned only, um, I referenced him as Bill. So apologise there, it's clearly Mick. Of course, they've called him Mick, he's Irish. <coughs> it's very stereotypical of Mr. Renwick. <laughs> but um, I'm not here to um, get offended. And although she's referenced this Mick and, you know, as he give you his um, opinion or his verdict on it, she went on to say he said it would be corroded away to Bagara. Bagara, I think a word I've never used or heard of. And Victor uh, chimes in and said, to buggery, I think he said. Now, listeners, I'm sorry if... He didn't actually say Bagara. I, could, I haven't got the subtitles up. I don't know what Margaret said. I don't know what Margaret actually quoted from this builder, their plumber. I assume it just means, yeah, it's absolutely knackered. Like Victor said, he basically meant it's a bug, to buggery. So there we have it. So Victor says he's he's willing to go into town to buy the replacement piping uh, and fit it himself because he's not willing to spend the 50 quid. And the next scene, Victor's in town. He's come out of a DIY shop. And we see this lout of a bloke um, coming out of a coming out of his convertible sports car. It looks a bit of a classic car even then. Um, I'm not... I'm, I'm hardly Jeremy Clarkson when it comes to identifying uh, makes and models of cars. But this massive bloke just steps out of it. He didn't even open the door. He just steps out of it. He's got a kebab in his hand. He drops it to the floor. Right in the eye line of Victor, not the not the thing to do, and it's absolutely atrocious though. Like I think most most people see people just chucking litter. I think it's just the sheer arrogance of it. This guy's dropped like chips and chicken wings or whatever it is. It just looks disgusting. Excuse me, what the bloody hell do you think this is? in the corner or is that too far for you to walk you might like living in a sewer but there's other people who prefer to walk down this road without being knee deep in your half digested lunch are you going to pick that up either you pick that up or i'm going to make a citizen's arrest and have you prosecuted and victor does what a lot of us wouldn't do and he goes to confront him i certainly wouldn't i just i don't, I don't I haven't got the balls to do that in life. I'm certainly more cowardly than Victor. And this is where we've got to applaud him because he, although it's comical how he does it and he just looks like he's well out of his depth, he is not afraid to confront this guy. Victor goes as far as saying, like, either you pick that up or I'm going to make a citizen's arrest and have you prosecuted. 
Has a citizen's arrest ever worked? I've never seen one in person. I've never seen anyone arrested in person, to be fair. But I just don't know how a citizen's arrest would get by, or I don't know how anyone would allow them to be arrested by a fellow citizen. Especially when this guy is six foot four, built like a brick shit house, and Victor is obviously 60 something, a little bit shorter than him, and would clearly be absolutely done in a one on one fight. Now, Renwick did the very, very much the right thing here and left the scene ended there. I assume there's no uncut version of that scene. And we see Victor in his uh, dining room with the piping wrapped around his head. Um, Margaret trying to take it off him and it looks quite painful actually you know, he's, this guy's bent this I don't know what type of metal it is brass, copper maybe copper um, piping around his, his head uh, Vic's obviously came off worse there but still brave I mean he looks hilarious how he's trying to get this uh, helmet of a pipe off his head um, but very small reference I haven't mentioned I thought it was small until now and the reason why I don't think it's small is because they keep mentioning it three times they mentioned toilet duck the first time was when um the Victor discovered the plumber behind the shower curtains and said when he said you know you're running out of toilet duck the second time was when I think I think Victor or Margaret mentioned it in bed to say or no Margaret said you know you run out of toilet duck and then of course this scene where he's got the piping around his head so when Victor is you know, ranting about this guy, um, Margaret says, you're lucky you know, he didn't um, do anything worse to you. And Victor shows the toilet duck from his bag so he, and says, you know, you're lucky he didn't do anything with his toilet duck. Margaret's trying to saw, hacksaw this pole off, um, pole, pipe off, sorry. So, and she's not getting anywhere. It's a blunt saw. So she goes to the shed to find um, something else. The doorbell goes and Victor reluctantly goes up, walks towards the... Uh, front door it's a postman and he says don't even think about it um, and it's quite an interesting angle we see uh, because we can see um the postman's point of view so we can see through the hallway through to the kitchen uh, i don't know if that's i get shot down for saying this but i don't know if it's the set or the actual home of the person who lives there because it's not an it's not a view the audience would see, so I, I don't quite know, but it certainly looks like their hallway and kitchen, because you know in some some uh, films or some comedies where you've got an unusual um, exterior shot, you just you're just wondering if it's um, the actual set or not. But yeah, next scene, Victor is well, Victor and Margaret are watching. Victor and Margaret are trawling through a, a slideshow, and again, this is. This takes me back, actually. Um, if those of you will remember slideshows, uh, you know, with a bit the same era of Polaroid cameras, but with slides. My dad still to this day looks for old photos on his. Um, does everyone remember slideshows and the little film, plastic films that you put into a. Um, I can't think of the, the name of it. Oh, it's so embarrassing. And you'd have the big white screen and you. You know, basically, your photos are blown up that way. Um, anyway, Victor's going through. He's counting. I think he starts off with 33, 34, 35. And all of the photos have got, like, half of the picture cropped out due to, I assume, like a fingerprint. Or a, not a fingerprint, but a finger. And that's something that used to happen all the time when I when I used to buy the, the old disposable um, cameras. I think it's a poor design because 
when you're a little boy holding a camera, your finger shouldn't really reach round as far as the actual lens. So quite often my photos would come out where half the screen just had my hand in front of it. And it's quite, I just quite like how Renwick's highlighted that, a really annoying thing where you spend that. It's quite a lot of money to get films processed in those days. And these days, obviously, it's instantly on your computer. And even now, I think if you've got your films um, processed, you can get them done online. It's only a couple of quid compared to what it used to cost. And it's just one of those uh, annoyances. Something I can moan about in the uh, Meldrew Moan Corner, if it was a thing still. Well, anyway, in a sarcastic tone, as ever, Victor says, um, 36 photos of your mother's 80th birthday for us to treasure always. So we know her mother's age now. Um, we don't, we won't know much more than that, of course. But what I do know is if, if this is her 80th birthday, uh, we didn't actually cleverly see any photos of Margaret's mum, just of Victor and Margaret, which seems totally pointless from their point of view. They surely want photos of her mum. I'm sure they were on the previous 30-odd. That's another thing. A 36 photos, a very pointless, knee, uh, nerdy side comment here, but... It used to be, for some reason, you could get films of 24 or 36. And why is that? Why was that just te- technology was limited? Why you could only buy 24 or 36, I don't know. But uh, they obviously splashed out and brought a, spent a couple of quid more, yeah, clearly. Margaret's uh, about to go to bed. She's quite tired. She says she's got rehearsals the next day and wants to get an, an early night if possible. And Victor says, well, I've got a little job to take care of as well, being quite mysteri- mysterious about it. Um, as he as he dismantles the white screen and the scene ends there. Next day, he's in the same street where he essentially got attacked by this um, twat, should we call him? Gosh, it might be the first bad language I've used on this podcast. I might have to inform uh, the podcast authorities on that. But yeah, he um, can see the builder. Uh, he sees the sports car, the convertible. And he goes up to it and pours his entire contacts, contents of his... Um, garbage bin and well and truly getting his own back and uh, creeps back to his car and sort of watches from afar and we (laughs) this is just just amazing mix-up of comedy of course victor gets himself into more trouble essentially because this isn't the guy's sports car rather typically his car is the other side of the road so he's essentially uh soiled if not sold someone's car but he's um, attack someone else indirectly, uh, accidentally, but someone's going to be pretty pissed off when they find that. And Victor's face, he's, he's cr- sat in his driver's, driver's seat, sort of crouching down for more and more as the builder walks towards You think he's going to confront him because he's seen the rubbish, but yeah, obviously I've just said he, he's, he clearly got the wrong car. And Victor's face is just priceless. He's absolutely beating himself up at this point well not literally he's already been beaten up but you can tell he's made the huge error um the following scene is at the theater margaret's rehearsals um and she is looks like she's playing a side character and there's a i don't know what the play's based on i don't think they referenced it already but it looks like a uh sort of 40 or early 50 something couple love storyline and margaret is I don't know, she's like a maid of sorts. And there is a stage engineer guy trying to sort out the lighting. And it looks very dodgy. He's he's not got any safety equipment. And the actors are rehearsing, sort of telling to stop what they're doing to 
make sure he's okay. Scene cuts to Victor's car parking outside of the theatre. I notice it's the same, they're definitely using the same vehicle because the number plate uh, has the GTP in it, which was the whole TCP reference from the last episode. So I'm glad they're using their full Fiesta uh, once again. But yeah, he's he's obviously arrived to watch Margaret play. It's, it's night time at this point. I think it's a bit of a time shift because I assume it's been it's been rehearsals all day, and when we see Victor park up, and and we've also seen this this sound engineer guy or stage engineer guy sorting out the lighting, and he's looking a bit wobbly. When Victor arrives, it's it it just looks a bit different, like well by different the the, the light it's a lot darker in there. So I think it might just be purely for the set design, of course, but it's certainly dark outside. Um, although Margaret did reference she was um, rehearsing in the evening so there's my answer I don't know why I waffled on there anyway as the audience viewer we're led to believe that there's something not quite right with that stage and when Victor's point of view when he goes in he starts to see them he's walking in midway through the rehearsal uh, so he doesn't quite he hasn't seen any of the safety concerns and this poor guy falls through um, uh, glass window, uh, glass window framing, and it all—it's like a comedy of errors from here. It's very uh, ca- carry on like slapsticky because the male and female actors, well, the lady actor playing playing the actress in, in the stage play is Maggie Ollerinshaw, and the chap—he um, is called Gareth Armstrong. I do recognise them. Uh, they've obviously been... I think they're just... They look like they're jobbing actors. They've been in loads and loads of stuff. But, yeah, they're acting out the, the stage play. Victor walks in, and, like I said, the comedy of errors starts to unfold. And the great thing here is that Victor thinks it's all part of the production because you've got this poor guy, um, the engineer, who's probably broken his back. Um, you've got uh, the lady... I can't remember her name now. I think she is... I think she's called Hillary in this. Yeah, she's Hillary. And she goes at the stage stairs to pull off the, the, the curtains just to bandage this poor guy um, up. And she falls off the, the banister, um, over the banister even, and she obviously breaks, probably breaks her back in the in the process. And Victor is finding this hilarious to the point he's getting out a, a packet of uh, chocolates from his top pocket. I think it's um, Maltesers. No, M&M's to be precise, uh, listeners. It was M&M's. And, uh, yeah, he's loving it. It's just, it does look like, to be fair, it looks like corny acting. It's weird how they did it. Like, to Victor, it's like, this is okay, this is comedy, This it, it works. To us, the viewer, yeah, we know, obviously know what's happened, but it it could almost pass uh, for a, an amateur production play, the way they're just all so dramatic about it. But you obviously would be, because two people just fall, fallen from great height. And when the, it's revealed to be uh, Victor, they're all just um, <laughs> staring in disbelief. And it's hilarious because he's just on his own. It's just Victor at the back there, just cl- applauding um, all everything that's going wrong. This this guy who fell from height also holds on to the fake pillar, which brings everything down. And yeah, Victor's absolutely loving it. And I just think that's great. That's I think definitely, and I haven't finished the, this uh, podcast, but that is the highlight of this episode. <laughs> Victor just getting there. And, and, you know, and it should also be noted that 
They couldn't get the emergency services because some, you know, git had blocked the uh, entrance of the theatre um, stage, uh, which was, of course, Victor, which is um, a little bit naughty, actually. Something Victor would have something to say if it was anyone else, unless it was an innocent mistake it was that night, I suppose. Uh, but, yeah, that's why they just had to get on with trying to save this poor guy who just fallen um, from, from great height. Back in the male Jew's house, Victor's proudly presented his script to Margaret to have a little read because she's been on it end to have a little peek at it. And we've gone from happy to sad, really, in seconds because she's quite cruel with it. I'm absolutely amazed. I wouldn't have believed you had it in you. 45 pages of absolute drivel. <laughs> what? Is this supposed to be funny? What do you mean? Well, wouldn't happen, would it? Stupid things like that in real life. Where do you get such ridiculous ideas? Oh. I thought it would come out rather well. Oh. Well, that's that down the drain. Five weeks' work. I've been enjoying writing that. I thought at last I'd found something I was good at. It's very blunt with... Um, Victor not very supportive in the in the least but Margaret says you know she says 45 pages of absolute dribble she leads him down a false path of it looked like she was going to appraise him because he had a big grin on his face and she goes wouldn't have thought you had it in you 45 pages of absolute and then dribble and poor old Victor's absolutely perplexed but she says it just wouldn't happen when you know, silly things like that in real life um, and actually, when, I was think, when I was thinking deep into it, when I was reading into that bit of dialogue, I just wonder if it, that's where Renwick's is that that's what that was Renwick's way of having a dig at possible critics of the show at the time. But I don't know what you would have got out of that because you know, unless it's just ironic, who knows? Because one from the grave went on is was a was a huge success. But yeah. I mean, within a matter of seconds, where Margaret goes off into the living room um, and back, she comes back in to the shredded uh, script on the table, which I thought was done remarkably quick, and we didn't hear it, of course. Just a little trope, as they call. Like you, <laughs> you would have heard that paper being ripped up, certainly from the next room. Yeah, quite tragic, really, for poor Victor. He's just trying to you know, make think of a hobby. You think his wife of all people will be supportive, even if you didn't find it funny, you know, um, at least give it a bit of uh, proper critiquing. Anyway, we're on to um, Disri Gibson's Bergerac party now, and they are, there's quite a few of them, and she, they, they appear to be waiting for Victor and Margaret, but they've gone ahead to watch um, Disri Gibson's scene as, uh, and the funny thing is, it really is just like one line, we we see them crying around the television and it's, yeah, it's about one piece of dialogue and they're also very pleased for her. And it's, the audience find it funny and it is funny because it's a bit over the top. And this lady, I mean, she's easily in her mid to late forties and this is her first big break. So it's come quite late on in life, arguably, unless she's just started late on in life. In other words, a bit egocentric, but I guess it's, you, you have every right to be proud of an achievement, but, I think she she isn't really painted in a, a a great light, as we'll see in this scene, as Victor and Margaret turn up and they brought a bottle of wine with them and they're looking forward to joining in the fun. Into the 
confusion. Uh, I believe Desiree mentioned seafood on the phone. Yes. Yes, that's all right with us, isn't it? Mm. Lovely. <laughs> Where is it, then? Sorry? Where is it? The husband of Desiree said, I understand my wife mentioned seafood on the phone. Which Margaret said, yeah, that's right with us. We like that. I certainly wouldn't, blimey. Followed by a little pause and the chat goes, well, where is it then? Becomes apparent that this guy thinks they are there to provide the catering. Poor old Victor Margaret, how you can get yourself in this situation, I do not know. And it's not as if Margaret's known this lady that long. I think she's only met her through the uh, stage company. But, yeah, there's a rather awkward mix-up. And I know I know how I would react in this situation, but I'll get to it in a moment because it's so frustrating how Victor and Margaret deal with this because they're just so polite. The husband of Desri um, is obviously a little confused himself. But you agreed it all with my wife on the phone the other day. No, I, I don't know where she got that impression. You told her you were in catering. In catering. <laughs> what is it? They're not, a, they're not a bloody catering firm at all. You've got it all arse about face, as usual. <laughs> God almighty. Margaret comes clean to say that there's a bit of a mix-up. The chap says, you know, you've agreed it all with my wife. And she goes, no, I think, I think you've got a... I think she's... She's made a mistake. And here comes the punchline. He says, you told her you were in catering. And she corrects him and said, kettering. And how far-fetched is that? Very, very far-fetched. But it's it's clever, isn't it? I mean, it's it's perfect for a sitcom. Um, perfect mix-up. It was all done over the telephone. And he calls his wife in and he says, you've got this arse about face as per usual. So he's, he's putting her down a little bit there. Sounds like she's made similar mistakes before. And she starts to defend herself, this Desiree Gibson. Heavens above, woman, you must have realised. What on earth did you think I was talking about when I said to make sure you brought the bill with you? And she she must have uh, known what I was on about when I asked for the bill. <laughs> and Margaret pulls out of her handbag... A cassette tape, and we did see in the previous scene her uh, pulling a video tape out of the recorder, which you don't quite know what that's for at that point. She asked me to record that program for her. If she'd said the bill, it wouldn't have worked. If um, the previous scene, if Margaret, when she's taken the video out of the cassette player, um, hadn't referred to it as that program, and she said the bill, of course the joke wouldn't work. The, the reveal had already happened before we'd uh, seen the reaction of the Desiree. Uh, Gibson and Margaret in that uh, scene that precedes it. Anyway, massively digressing onto that um, that joke there. Here's what is frustrating, because they're all sat around the table. That's Desiree Gibson. How many times I've got to use a name, I don't know. And they are a little bit miffed because they're still waiting for their food, which I understand if you're the guests, but it's not anyone's fault but Desiree Gibson as far as I'm concerned. And they made poor old Victor and Margaret go out to the Chinese takeaway. And why should they? I mean, it's not on them at all. And I think this warrants a Meldrew moan because I'm surprised Victor went along with it. I mean, he didn't particularly like this Desiree Gibson. I think he refers to her as 
Desiree Gibbon um, in the previous scenes, which I didn't mention before. I'd just be like, no, I mean, I'd go to the Chinese, sure, um, but I wouldn't be bringing all their food back. They, they, they don't owe them anything. The only reason I can think they went as far as buying um, them, the Chinese, I, I don't know if they paid for it themselves, but they still went out and got it for them and after being spoken to craply by Desiree Gibson. There you go, that's, another, that's a, a pain for every time I mention her name. Um, the only reason why I think they did that is because Margaret wants to stay in the production company. She wants to, this Desiree is uh, like a member of that production company, so she wants to stay in with them. And there's the promise of Victor's script maybe being looked at, even though it's been ripped up. Maybe he thinks that he can still make a contact or two. So there is that. But I think they've got more pride than that. Certainly Victor. So you feel for them. Anyway, as they're as they're out, this um, Australian who's sat around the table, friend of theirs, I think it's Australian, maybe it's New Zealand, is livid. Some cretinous arseholes dumped a sack full of garbage all over inside of my car. <laughs> Gunging crap everywhere for no reason at all. Jesus Christ, I find him, I'll have his balls for bacon dumplings. He won't know what's in him. Terrible. He's recounting a story of some uh, absolute monster who chucked a load of crap in his car. And we, of course, know this is Victor. And, he's, and he says, you know, if I find him, are uh, basically, and it's rather cheesy, quite a cheesy um, moment from this Australian because he says, like, yeah, the, this bastard put garbage on in my in my car. Um, and Desiree said, well, they never seem to catch them, do they, these uh, the police? They never seem to get these thugs who do this. And he goes, well, this, this guy made a, a fatal error because in his garbage I found this, and it's a, a slide from Victor and Margaret's uh, collection, obviously. And they'd obviously bin them because um, he can see quite clearly who is in these slides. And it's and he describes Victor, some bold git with a, a cap in some of them. And and he, the cheesy bit I mentioned is because if I see him, this is what I'll do. And he squeeze, squeezes a, a tin of beer. <clears throat> and it just, I think it's a bit, um, I know it's a sitcom and it's not going to be directed for violence. But I just thought it was a bit, bit, bit weak, that, that bit. And then the moment he says that, Victor put, puts his head through the servant hatch and says, um, who's for a double whopper? And I thought, that's, it's just it occurred to me that the show end, uh, started off with the reference of a, a double whopper and it's ended with such a thing. I thought they went to the Chinese takeaway, actually. I've been, <laughs> I've been talking about how they've gone to the Chinese, but no, a double whopper. So that's um, quite a funny, a full coming full circle with food references and presumably Victor's going to get another pasting, which is quite unfortunate. But that ends the episode. And yeah, I think that was quite a quite a good storyline. IMDB give that a 7.9 out of 10. Quite a high score, actually. I don't, I wouldn't say that was so far, based on the rewatch, my favourite episode. Um, there wasn't really a strong plot as such. I think it was more, it, you, you had a bit more background to the Belgians. You, you learnt... A little bit about Margaret's mother. You learned a little bit more about Victor's morals. Both had a bit of a bit of creative input from both Victor and Margaret. I think it was more just character uh, building more than anything. There's two moments in the show that was set up for the big re- reveal, if you like. So the the purpose he mentioned catering purely. So there's the catering and catering cock up at the end, and the second one was them watching slideshows in their living room where they clearly bin them because they're a load of rubbish with 
you know half the the photo taken um taken off due well covered up with a with a hand or fingerprint and of course which leads to victor inadvertently giving it to someone else to see after soiling their car with garbage but you know it's still funny it wasn't too many hilarious one-liners that stuck out for me i did learn what the mick the irish builder actually said thanks to imdb he used the phrase or the, the word begora which i'd never heard of but According to the dictionary, it's an exclamation of surprise traditionally attributed to the Irish. It's very much an Irish an Irishism. What did you guys think of it? I mean, I don't know if you would have rewatched this and, and then listened to this episode of my podcast or what. But based on what I've spoken about, just let me know what you, your thoughts, really. I know, well, I like to think young Ben and Simon are listening in. And if anyone else is doing, doing the same, let me know. Um, it's being... I've, Although this isn't my favourite episode to date, um, I have enjoyed it, especially because it's been a few weeks since I recorded and I feel quite fresh again. I tried to do this podcast, I think, last weekend and I kept stop, start, stop, start, stop, start throughout um, just the opening scene because I just could not um, find the motivation. I don't know what the reason was. It's just one of those days, I think. So I'm glad I waited till now because I feel like for once, this flows quite well. You may disagree. Doing these shows on on your own is uh, tricky. But I'm looking to have one or two of you call in soon so we can have a conversation. So it might be a little bit more, more interesting for the listeners to have more than one person talking their ear off for the best part of a, an hour. Okay, I think it's time now for the Meldrew Moan. I was talking to the uh, the missus about, you know, what could I moan about? Because it's whatever I do moan about will be indirectly linked with lockdown. Because what else is happening right now? Who, of course, couldn't really think of anything. But I thought of one thing straight away. Banana bread. <laughs> um, the reason why I say banana bread is every sod seems to bake it. Um, including my missus who is an amazing uh, baker, by the way. Look up Bakeology Bakery, um, specialising in vegan bakes. Just another little plug there. She does amazing bakes no matter what. But it's banana bread in particular that I have a problem with because I don't like banana bread, for starters. If it's chocolate cake, it's different. This is banana cake, uh, banana bread. I like bananas, <clears throat> but it should be in no way be made into bread. And since lockdown, I just it seems to be a bit of a... Um, craze to bake banana bread and it's one of those depressing things where if you've got nothing to bake with you've got the basic ingredients but you haven't got any flavored flavor to go into it you know or, you know raw ingredient if you're using a banana it signifies the fact you've got bugger all in stock uh, and you usually need molded or um, bruised bananas for banana uh, banana bread and i'm not i like bananas but certainly not when they're bruised <clears throat> so yeah why do you bloody bake banana bread um there's got to be i know there's it's difficult to get hold of certain ingredients right now i do get that but when i was having a moan about it the other day i um i was on instagram uh which I'm not i'm not ashamed to say but i do have instagram and one of the um one of someone i who a, a friend of a friend posted 
the fact that she'd baked a third banana, a loaf of banana bread that day proudly. I just think, I don't know. I just, I, it just grates me. Um, I think it's just because it's not nice and it's just, everyone seems to just, everyone, well, a lot of people who seemingly don't usually bake, that, that's their first port of call. They're not making sourdough bread or just a standard loaf. They're making banana bread. <sighs> anyway, my I've got a secondary moan, and that is, unfortunately, that is going to be coronary virus related. Um, it isn't the the idea of lockdown. That is an, obviously hideous for m- most of us. But what is annoying is you don't you don't need to tell me, okay. And I'm not, I'm not on about you, the listener, because you, you're the great, you're the good guys, okay? You're the good guys and girls, but I'm on about the internet, okay? People don't need to tell me that they've just been out or they've just done this with that, or they've interacted with whoever. They don't need to tell me that they also socially distance, you know? So, like, if they posted a picture of them seeing a friend or family relative or doing an activity, right at the end they'll go, keeping our distance, of course, hee-hee. It's like... Who are you trying to suck up to? No one cares. Like, if you weren't socially distancing, okay, that's um, annoying. Regardless of your opinion of this lockdown, you should still respect the you know the rules in the sense that you don't want to catch a virus of any sorts. Like, if if you're in if you day to day life at work and someone's got a sickness bug or a virus, you naturally keep your distance. So, regardless of your thoughts on lockdown, whether you agree with it or not. I still think you need to abide by those rules. I, I get that. But to sort of brown nose your way through your social media claiming that you're sticking to the rules and whatever, it just, um, it grates me as well. Banana bread and people just making sure that you know that they've definitely social distance. Oh, I don't know. I, I know the need for it, but I just think, who are, you, who are you trying to seek praise from? Because you should be doing that anyway. We don't care. I guess from their point of view, they they don't want people to they don't want to jump on their case. They don't want people to uh, rub it into them that they're not following the rules. I I do get that, but uh, but the flip side is you you're trying to present this image that you are goody two shoes, and that's just annoying. Like just follow the rules. We know it. I'm gonna just trust that people are following the rules. You don't need to remind us um, in a in an Instagram story or or, or a tweet or otherwise. Sorry, those uh, moans are a little bit melty, um, but it is weirdly difficult to find things to moan about that that I can feel this passionate about, because I don't want to make this a political podcast. I can moan all day about politics. We all could. We've all got different opinions, but I don't want to make this about politics. So these moans are going to be um, only barely semi-serious, of course, naturally. Anyway, I'd this extra long podcast today um i think purely because it's been a a few weeks and i've had more to say but thanks once again for listening Uh, please send me a tweet at one foot in the pod you can email uh one foot in the podcast at gmail.com i do have a facebook page uh for one foot in the podcast but i've i've (laughs) i've I've set up a a profile i've done nothing with it so if you find it um by all means post something on there but so do get in touch Please, please, if you could um, review the show through it, through any means, whether you're Apple, an Apple user or Android or other, it really helps um, people who are searching for podcasts on their device and they want a bit of inspiration or they want to listen to something new. 
the more you the more uh, reviews a podcast gets the more likely it's, it's going to come up in the search the searches so i can't stress that enough especially for to a, a little podcast like mine um like i said i'm grateful for the the listeners i do have but it would be nice to get out there further and much wider but yeah anyway guys uh, take good care of yourselves in general i'm not going to use the catchphrase uh which is of course stay safe um, I want you to stay safe no matter what, so I'm not going to use that. That's for me to moan about another day. But just take care of yourselves. Hope you're filling your time well. Thank you once again for listening to this podcast. And until next time, where I will be discussing the episode, Who Will Buy? And I intend to record that next weekend. Um, and in fact, I will endeavour to. Okay. All right, guys, take your care and I'll speak to you next time. Cheers. Oh, I'm in the grind.